0: and Welcome to season five of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hi, everybody. It's Bob here again. I have with love and keishas, I have Susan Axelrod on the line with us today. And boy, this is a delicious book. What can I say? It just, uh, I would say the downside of this book, uh, Susan, is it makes you hungry when you read it. <laughs>
1: Well, that was the point, among other things.
0: I wanted to ask you, you know, you've been in business a long, long, long time. For you, what was the motivation behind writing the book?
1: Well, actually, I didn't really plan ahead. It was an accident like a lot of things that happened in my business. My marketing department insisted that I start a blog and I did that. I told the story of Loving Keisha's how I started in my home and how we ended up now as a global supplier. We ship our products all over the world. And during that process, people began to tell me, you know, you really can write. Why don't you take this a little bit further? Why don't you write a book? And I found that I enjoyed writing. So I decided to try my hand at writing a book because I think I have a story that's worth telling. And I got started and the book sort of like a will and a pull of its own, just like my business did. So there you are. I ended up with this book
0: <laughs> okay Susan so you know you you've, you've written well you've done the blog post and then you've written the book how long did it take for you to get from the moment where you're saying "Oh, okay all these people are asking me to write a book to actually getting the book published
1: well it's a four-year process you know I'm not famous I'm a first-time writer so it took me quite a long time after I finished the book to find my publisher once I found my publisher they said you know this is a great story But your book is just part one. We want you to write a part two. The part two are going to be uh, more substantive chapters, uh, such as uh, family business, next leveling, marketing and branding, uh, the Internet company culture, books, you know, uh, subjects such as that. So I and then they assigned an editor to me and my editor and I were joined at the hip for a solid nine months writing and rewriting and writing and rewriting. We had to extract a lot of the material from the first part of the book, most of my advice, and fashion it into more substantive chapters, which are part two. So essentially, we ended up with part one, which is the story, part two, which is the advice. Actually, uh, the first two chapters in part two sort of finishes up the story. It takes us to nine eleven, which was a, a transformational a tragic moment for, of course, my whole country, but um, a transformational um, moment for our love and kisses. It was our aha moment. And then after my editor and I finished editing the book, there was the substantive edit and then the copy edit and then the proof edits. So it really takes, once I found my publisher, it took about three years to get the book ready. Then with all the polishing, they changed the name. A lot of things happened. So it took actually four years until we published the book. It was a very, very long Process. It was a grueling process, but it was an incredible experience, absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah, I bet you, you. know, a lot of the writers I talk to, they they find it it's almost a life changing experience because they don't. They said, "Ah, I write the book, it's all done." And then they get an editor, and the guy says, "Well, this is a nice start." And so, what do you mean it's a start? This is uh, exactly. blood, sweat, and tears, and that you have no idea how many blood, sweat, and tears you're gonna get putting into a book. But you know what? It's it's important because you know the knowledge and information that you're you're trying to put into the book to help other businesses, you know, excel and do better. You can't kind of just fob it off because if you do, you, you you end up just having a bunch of unsatisfied people after they've read the book.
1: Exactly. You know, in today's economy, there are, it's much harder to sustain a career in the larger corporate America. I don't have exact statistics, but there are a lot of very good talented people that are always looking over their shoulder, waiting for the other shoe to drop. So starting your own business and entrepreneurship is a viable alternative. And that's what my book is all about. If I could do it, anybody could.
0: Now, why do you say that? I mean, you've got a lot of gumption. You've got to get up and go. I mean, you started with. Uh, actually, let's talk about how you started because I think that's quite interesting. You started with with love and quiches, but now you're 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 not doing as much quiche. What happened there?
1: Well, we segued into desserts early on. You know, I started my business in 1973 in my house. There were not that many women in the uh, manufacturing, the, you know, the brick-and-mortar manufacturing game. It was a man's game. And, you know, in many ways, it still is. I, I mean, by far, I wasn't the first. There was Estee Lauder and uh, other people in more g- glamorous fields. But mine is like a down-and-dirty business. So I was a pioneer. And I was a suburban housewife, a typical suburban housewife. I had an avocation where I was um, absolutely enamored, a passion for everything and everything connected with food. And I was able to turn that avocation into... A business um, purely by accident I mean we had no plan I had a partner when I first started we had no plan we just simply started and then also my partner after one year it it seemed as if we had a tiger by the tail and it was anything but a, uh, a hobby which is what my partner my original partner had bargained for so she cried uncle early on And I bought her out and I had to assess what I had bought. So all of my learning, since I had no preparation for business ownership, whatever, all my learning is on the job. I learned everything just by doing it. I even learned how to be ambitious just by doing it. I learned how to run a business just by doing it. I mean, I took whatever help I could get. I learned from my mentors. I learned from my vendors. I learned from my professionals. I learned from my employees. I learned from my competitors. But all my learning is on the job. I was supposed to be a high school English teacher, but here I am. (laughs) <laughs> in the manufacturing business with a whole bunch of people in the back making thousands and thousands of cases of chocolate cake and carrot cake and cheesecakes and things along that line. So I did it.
0: I just wanted to backtrack a little bit there because uh, you know you mentioned that your small business, your initial product was the quiche and then you went into desserts. Why, why did you transition from quiches to desserts?
1: Well, a lot of it had to do with our customers asking. It was actually uh, my product, it was our quiche, uh, we're talking over 40 years ago, that put quiche on the map as an alternative to the hamburger. It was our product that started the trend and, and is now served in menus all over the world, somewhere, somehow, in hotels, for breakfast, for lunch, for late night supper. So they serve it for breakfast. They serve it even in, uh, uh, you know, in coffee bars and things like that. I started that trend. It was New York metro area, and then we did concentric circles as we moved into the tri-state area. And then we moved up and down the eastern seaboard, and then we moved across the country. And the customers would say, um, well, can you make me, I can't get a really good pecan pie, can you make me a pecan pie? The next customer who I was selling my quiches to said, how about cheesecake, can you make me a cheesecake? A quiche, it might be a, a savory pie, but it is a baked product. and And so it wasn't really a far uh, diversion as we started segueing into desserts. And that's how you add uh, while you're delivering a quiche to a restaurant, you could also be delivering a quiche and desserts. So it's like a product expansion. And that's how I grew, knocking on a thousand doors one step at a time.
0: You mentioned uh, earlier that you changed the name of the book with uh, with Love and Quiches, and ob- obviously that's, that's a play on Love and Kisses. Did you like the new book cover title? Well,
1: I thought I did. I have – the original title of the book was An Accidental Business. My publishers thought that title was um, not specific enough, and they wanted to connect it some way with food because they thought that's a, uh, you know, that's an attractor. So we ended up with With Love and Keisha's A Long Island Housewife's Surprising Journey from the Kitchen to the Boardroom. But I'm wondering now if that's sort of cuts off half the population in this world, because my book is not a, uh, it's not a woman's book. It's a business book. And the advice that I give um, crosses all genders. Uh, the uh, business advice that I give has nothing to do with being a woman in business. I am who I am and gender was never a factor in how I uh, run my business day and how I conduct business.
0: I wanted to ask you about, because you know, it has come up for me a lot recently, is women in business. And I think we're in the throes of a huge, huge change in the way business is perceived and the importance of, of women in business, specifically women managers and women that have been in business for quite a long time. Do you feel that there's a fundamental shift in the way a woman is perceived in the business market?
1: Women are making strides. You see uh, there are more and more uh, CEOs. There are more, particularly in the food industry, there are women moving up into management positions more than they did in the past. There are some organizations that uh, weren't in existence when I first went into business. One of them is the uh, Women's Food Service Forum, and they do a lot to mentor and promote women you know, in the food service Industry, So we are making great strides, but I think women are still perceived a little bit differently and they're judged maybe a little more harshly than uh, some men are in any field across all fields. But things are getting better and more of us are starting businesses and more of us are moving up in corporate America, as difficult as corporate America is today.
0: For you, what was your aha moment, something that really crystallized for you, saying, oh my gosh – Now I totally get that.
1: Our aha moment was actually 9-11. Our business at the time was focused over 25% in the airline segment. So we were stuck with hundreds of thousands of dollars of canceled orders and now absolutely irrelevant inventory so we knew that we had to take a good look and we reinvented ourselves that was our aha moment we went to just in time manufacturing meaning that we wait until the orders are in house before we buy the ingredients and manufacture the ingredients and manufacture the products. We make sure it's on its way out the door with no excess inventory. So we make sure that everything that we uh, manufacture will be sold. We went to lean manufacturing. Uh, That's actually the Toyota method. It's where everything is in its place, uh, nothing out of place, no excess movements. You bring the work to the workers instead of the other way around. So we completely reinvented ourselves. We learned that you have to spend money to make money because the return on investment, whether it's for equipment or pans or training of your employees, comes back to you in tenfold. So we became more like a bigger business rather than a mom and pop kind of a shop. Before 9-11, there was plenty of things that happened. We uh, segued into a family business. We started our organization building. But before 9-11, it was still kind of uh, loving Keisha's light. So now we're much smarter. We have really great people on our team. We did a lot of organization building. We brought people from the outside. We promoted people from uh, below. We do a lot of training. We do cross-training, and they're kind of a passionate group. We're divided into teams, but we all communicate very well. We're kind of like all cogs in a wheel, one weak link, and it can bring it all down. So we communicate an awful lot The different departments, you know, the um, operations, the engineering, and so on and so forth. We kind of think like the big guys, even if we are a middle market company, but we've earned our place. People know who we are.
0: You know, it's interesting you say that like, uh, we act like the big guys even though we aren't. But don't you think prior to being a big guy, you actually have to practice being a big guy so when you get the big guy style opportunities, you can just roll right in and take the opportunity?
1: Absolutely. The thing is that in my book, um, I never really meant it to be a definitive kind of business book like um, uh Colin's Good to Great, you know, in books along that line, all of the advice that I give really comes from the Loving Keisha's real-time experience. And I think that's the, the point of difference in my book with other ones. It's practical, you know, down and dirty kind of advice that we give, call them Susan's uh, Business Rules for Success. Uh, you know, all the stars that we ever reached for were attainable. We never reached too high. And that's how we've grown to, uh, you know, enjoy the position that we do today. And that's what I bring home all of these lessons in my book.
0: What's the best way to attack this book? Is it a book that you can get away with jumping around in sections or you do advise, you know, read the whole book and then jump around to the practical parts or, you know, so many people today say, oh, I don't have time, I don't have time. Can they get away with just jumping to a chapter?
1: Well, the thing is my book is easy to read. It's kind of a page turner and even if it's a little over 300 pages – it doesn't take that long to go through it. What I would do, at least, is uh, you know, is read the story really quickly, and then you can pick and choose among the substantive chapters that might interest you most. Whether it's the marketing branding, or company culture, or um, the chapter that I devote to the internet and things along that line. So you can pick and choose for the substantive chapters. But even the substantive chapters are told from the A Love and keisha's experience and the Love and keisha's point of view. So if you'd have the time to devote to it, I think this is the kind of book that makes it worth your while. There was a book by L. U. Goldratt. It's been it's a classic book. I mean, it was written over 45 years ago. It's called The Goal, and that's told in the form of a novel, but it gives such practical advice. It, it's the theory of constraints. If there's one thing, if you're a manufacturing facility, if there's one thing out of place that prevents moving forward. One obstacle, if you can fix that one small obstacle, the whole process will run more smoothly from beginning to end. So here you have this business book that's even taught in Harvard these days and has been for decades called The Goal. It's a novel, which needs to be read from page one to the uh, to the end. I have codas at the end. I mean, there are some recipes and things like that. You don't have to read it if you don't wish to. There are... Um, There's a whole section in my coda at the end of the book having to do with our um, international travels and what we learned while we traveled internationally and brought back to the business, Um, things like that. I also have a a quick coda where I point out what I think are the most valuable business books out there. So if you don't want to read it or if you've already read them all, you don't have to read through that either. I would read through the whole book if I could
0: it's almost like an MBA because if you God, I was going through some of these books you recommend are amazing. Um, if you read this book plus the support material, basically it would be an an equivalent of an MBA, uh, program for business for sure. Uh, And practical with tons of practical advice. You know, there's so many people coming out of schools these days that have this big chip on the shoulder and saying, yeah, I've got my MBA. Listen to me. I'm amazing. And they have no idea about the practicality of all their knowledge. Do you think that's a fundamental flaw in uh, a lot of students that are coming out of school these days?
1: Yes, I do. You have to be there and learn on the job. We've just hired an intern who is having a marvelous time. She only works um, 15 hours a week, but she's learning so much of uh, about business. I think everybody who can attain a degree Uh, It's very important that they should because they are judged that way when they're being hired or trying to uh, find their place in corporate America. Um, They need to have that degree. And if they could have an advanced degree and a master's, whether it's business or marketing, whatever it happens to be, you know, what they're interested in, I think it helps to get that job instead of the next guy. But there's nothing like getting in there, doing it, having that practical experience, that helps you grow as a person. It helps you contribute to the organization that you belong to.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of it I think is you know people that you have come on board that, that have the education, but they also have a creative ability to look at a situation and not get stuck. Like you were talking about finding the small things in your department or the small things in the, the chain that need to get fixed. And it might be a little teeny tiny thing nobody even thought about, but everything flows so much smoother just because you've thought of a creative way of looking at the same problem.
1: It also um, uh, helps if your employee in any particular department has had experience with other uh, manufacturers or companies that do similar things. So they bring that experience with them.
0: Yeah, I remember sitting down with a group many years ago, and uh, it was such a diverse group. And I, I pulled the guy aside. It's like, why do we have so many different people in the room? And he said, but because the answers that these guys have for problems that they have, we can look at and interpret for our organization. Because we are stuck in the forest, and we need to talk to people that aren't in the same forest for us to see fresh and outside of the box ideas and I thought it was a brilliant idea
1: it's a little it's a little like when some of your hires have come and had experience with other similar companies it's almost like hiring a consultant in a way so they bring some fresh ideas and, and practical experience from an outside point of view
0: now I wanted to Go back to women in the workforce. What, do you, what would you recommend for women in the workforce? Do you think it's, it's better these days for them to go the entrepreneurial route instead of getting involved in an organization and, and trying to grow within the organization?
1: Um, Not necessarily. Sometimes it's finding your next career to start your own business. Or sometimes if you've hit that glass ceiling, it's just one um, viable alternative. But you have to have a good idea. Uh, It has to be an idea that's not already filled uh, within your marketplace. You know, you have to be able to persuade someone to pay you for your idea or service or product or whatever it happens to be, or uh, because without the customer, you have, you know, you have nothing. So if you think you have, say, uh, you know, I'll just take a, a food in the food business. Say you think you have the best muffin that was ever uh, was ever invented, but it has to be at a better price or maybe better service or maybe uh, a, a different a point of difference in your um, delivery method in order to persuade your target customer to move from their current supplier. So, you know, it's it's not just having a good idea, but it's also being able to deliver. You also need to have some resources. If you're going into your own business, you need to have at least some resources to get you through the initial few years until a positive cash flow can be uh, established. You cannot you know, do it all yourself. You need an organization. You need those resources. Um, The thing I did when I first went into business, I mean, I was so clueless that I didn't know I shouldn't be in business. So I just was able to, you know, one step at a time, one quiche at a time, uh, get it going. I think it might be, uh, I don't know if it's harder today, but it's just different. I mean, I started pre-computer. It was pre-internet. It was pre a lot of networking opportunities. I was even went into business before the National Association for Women Business Owners was even established. That was just a few years after I went into business. And so there just were not the resources that were available uh, that there are today. There are places you can go if you have a really good idea. The Shark Tank and things along that line, uh, I think, investment capital companies didn't even exist when I went into business so there are places to go now to get some resources behind you while you're while you're getting started
0: do you think it's important to be able to have kind of like the pivot attitude you know you you start with quiches you you do as well as you can you kind of build up a talent set and then you say you know what looks like our target audience is asking for something totally different should you pivot the company and then reutilize your skill sets
1: Well, uh, what we did is we did our product expansions within our expertise. You know, baking is baking. We don't make up upside down widgets. But there isn't much difference between an apple pie or a quiche or um, even a cheesecake or a tiramisu or anything, you know, along those lines. So we sort of stuck to our core competencies. And we're careful not to, you know, go too far afield because that's costly and it uh, it kind of divides up your expertise in it. It's distracting to those in the organization, the sort of concentrating on what you do best, just doing more of it, selling more of it.
0: I wanted to ask you, you know, if you could do this all over again, which is a totally unfair question, I know, but if you could do it all <laughs> over again, what would you do differently?
1: My business sort of started in, uh, and a lot of my book in a way is devoted in what not to do. When you When you want to start a business you know if there was a mistake to be made we made it but we learned from our mistakes and we you know hopefully do not do not repeat them you know uh, mistakes are is a a highly underrated learning tool so we've made a lot of mistakes you have to make mistakes Uh, if you haven't made any mistakes you haven't been anywhere there's kind of that um, old joke that if you don't make any mistakes you're not trying hard enough so you just become a little bit better as you correct your mistakes, as you change direction a little bit slightly. You don't just throw things against the wall you know, and hope that they'll stick. What we do is we're very, very careful when we introduce new products, but we are um, constantly uh, reinventing ourselves in other small ways. We've just updated our logo. We've just redone our website. Um, we do things along those lines. We uh, we look for um, new areas of business, new channels of business. For example, in the food service business, there are many channels. One of them might be the military. Another is airlines. Another is convenience stores. Another is chain restaurants. Another one would be hotels. Another one would be coffee shops, of which there are tens of thousands of them all over the world supply products to them, or for vending, where you might take the same brownie you've been making, but you pre-wrap it so that uh, they can put it in their vending machines and things like that. So we never put all of our eggs in one basket, and we cater to, and we look for other channels of business. But we are bakers. We know it, and we we concentrate on what we do best.
0: I wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite anecdote that uh, you'd like to share with us from the book?
1: couple of the funniest things that ever happened or anecdote that happened, to me, I guess it's an anecdote. We were in Russia. It was before the fall of the Iron Curtain, and we got to Moscow, and in Moscow at the time, I mean, if you weren't sitting at the dinner table at 5.30, you weren't going to be fed. The restaurants closed, you know, they, they served dinner very very early and we were really hungry and my husband sort of followed his sixth sense and we wandered around the hotel and we found a stairway and we went upstairs and it was about midnight we found this really lively steakhouse there was music playing there were people drinking there was I mean you'd think it was just the middle of the day and our waiter was so drunk that he looked at us and he said, where are you from? And we said, we're from New York. And he said, if you're from New York, where's your gun? We looked at him and he said, everybody in New York has a gun, don't they? So I thought that was kind of funny. But he ended up, I mean, he was so drunk, he just fell down and somebody else had to wait on us. But we had this great dinner. Another one was when we moved into our first little storefront. Of course, we moved as we grew from my kitchen to my garage then we moved to a small storefront and then we moved to a little mini factory and then we moved to freeport which is in an industrial park which is our home since 1980 but when we moved into that first little uh, shop we always called it our tiny shop across from the firehouse And people came in, and don't forget, people still at that time, a lot of people had not heard of quiche. So we had people calling them quiches, we had people coming in and calling them quickies, we had people coming in and calling them knishes and all sorts of things. So we also educated the world how to pronounce quiche.
0: You know, that's very important because it's come up a couple of times in the interview, um, education, the importance of education and educating your market. Do you think a lot of people miss that point when they're building their business?
1: Yes, of course. That's, and that's marketing and that's good marketing. You have to entice your target market to want your product by explaining to them how it will make their business better, how it will help them to make money How it will help them to sell their product in an easier way, whether it has to do with good packaging that you offer them, that uh, they have less breakage on their shelves or whatever it happens to be. You have to educate not only your customer base, but you have to educate and popularize your product to help your customers in this case the restaurant learn to sell maybe a dessert for two or you know you help your customers to market the product for
0: you Well, you know, a lot of times I'm chatting with people and they say, oh, our sales and marketing, you know, and and they're all about the technical side of stuff. And and really, at the end of the day, great marketing is just educating people about what a great product is. And a lot of people get it backwards, but they, they just, they have a product that's not that great. And then they try and force it down people's throats through excessive marketing. And that's such an ass backwards way to do business.
1: You need a good product. It has to have value. It has to entice that very end user, whether you're selling it to a supermarket, the supermarket has to sell it to the uh, consumer. The consumer has to take it home, and they have to come back and buy it another time. You know, a single sale doesn't work. It's your repeat buyers that helps a business to grow. So what we have never done is compromised on quality because if you do that, uh, whether it's a product or a service, you won't have a second chance. You'll get caught every time. So the one thing we have never, ever done is compromised on quality in any manner, shape, or form during our four decades of being in business. You have to deliver the goods.
0: I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your mini factory. Why do you think that was such an important part of your growth?
1: well that's where we learned that was a 4500 square foot facility that's where we grew to have a staff of about 30. that's where we learned to divide areas of responsibility for examples the bakers baked, the packers packed, the dishwashers washed. Not everybody did everything, because when I first went into business, I was a one-man band. I was the baker, the buyer, I was the porter, I was the delivery guy, I was the salesman. I was always on my hands and knees, but that couldn't work. So we, that's where we really learned To uh, build a bit of a business, we learned that distributors could help us sell us products for them, and we didn't have to do it one step at a time. So you need to um, find ways to expand your market using other people's organizations, and that's what we learned in that small, mini-factory.
0: You know it's it's interesting because I think when you go from everybody does everything mode to now we're we're bigger guys and you have an area of expertise that we want you to specialize in and grow and study and, and become better. did you get a lot of pushback from from people that had a hard time transitioning out of I can do it all to okay, now I have to learn to delegate?
1: No, not really. Everything is a process. So even in our little mini factory, we started getting some good people on board and the lessons they realize: If you divide the areas of responsibility, you avoid working at cross purposes. You avoid uh, two people doing the same thing and not realizing it. And that has a lot to do with a good communication between the various departments. So we had our departments even in that small factory. I mean, now it's much more formalized. You know, we have very robust ERP systems and software systems where everything gets coordinated. We have um, eight teams, there's operations, there's engineering, there's um, sales and marketing, there's accounting, you know, the various different and quality assurance you have. Uh, Sometimes you have to try to make sure with your communications, that it's not the Hatfields and McCoys, that you have to have the quality assurance people working well with the research and development people who are working well with operations and realize that it's the operations and all of these teams actually that deliver the meat and potatoes of what we do. So our with our executive team, we set the strategic direction, but it's actually all of the teams working together and not across purposes.
0: You're a much larger organization. You've got all these people. You've got a lot of manufacturing systems in place. On a day-to-day level, you as the, the, the captain of the ship, the CEO, are you still doing you know a, a lot of outreach and, and customer service in, in the sense on a higher level where you're still doing fundamentally what you did when you were in your kitchen?
1: No, what I do mostly now, actually, my my title has changed to Chairwoman and Founder. We decided that that would be the best place. I think we decided that about when I started writing the book. What I do is advise and I watch. You know, I lead from the, you know, we have the right people on the bus, but more important, we have them in the right seats. So you have to allow them to do their jobs. You have to lead from behind. You have to certainly step in if you see something. But, um, you know, if you see something, say something, whether it's me or anybody else in this organization. You know, our uh, employees are our most valuable assets. We kind of consider them our partners. I'm talking about from the lowly dishwasher up to the uh, directors or vice presidents of the various departments. You need a good leader is one who can step back And can offer advice, can jump in if she needs to, but who allows your organization to function as like an organic whole? You have to learn that it's not just you. You have to learn to step back. It's the only way to get to the next level.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of the great leaders we've had on the show. They say very similar things. And it was a fascinating one uh, or a guy he was talking about when he's on the shop floor you know, doing just just a walk-around inspection. If he sees some garbage on the floor, instead of yelling at somebody to pick up the garbage, he'll pick it up himself and put it in the dustbin. He finds that's way more effective than calling people out.
1: Oh, I definitely agree, too. You never do that. First of all, you never call anybody out in front of anybody else. If you really think it's a grievous error that you're seeing, you might ask whoever it is, you know, who's doing it. Why don't you come back? I'd like to have a talk. Let's have a cup of coffee. You have to be very careful to uh, preserve people's dignity. But my employees know that if I needed to pitch in, like we did a little bit after Hurricane Sandy, I mean, we were all on our hands and knees. We were all dressed in our torn jeans, cleaning up that mess, all of us, from the top to the bottom. The next day um, after Hurricane Sandy, when we stood uh, in front of the building, I mean, we had quite a bit of damage. When we came in the next morning and we were all sort of in front of the building just trying to gather our strength trying to figure out what we were going to do first almost all of our employees were there also we were all 250 of us trying to figure out and we all pitched in and we all cleaned up and I mean this place was ready to go in 24 hours and in 72 hours our power was restored. And we were off and running with hardly uh, missing a beat. It's only because there were all of us pitching in and understanding that from the top to the bottom, that no task was beneath anybody. When there's a crisis, we all pitch in. And they appreciate that it's, uh, our. my business has segued over the uh, decades into a family business. My husband joined the business. My son, who's an attorney, joined the business after practicing for eight years. My daughter also joined the business in the 90s. Um, After raising her children and she had a marketing degree and so she um, joined in that capacity and our employees, they like that it's a family business because they feel secure, helps them to feel secure that the next generation is in place.
0: Compared to what you're doing, I mean, you're, you're a real get up and go and it's very entrepreneurial and, and a classic American story. But at a point, you've got to decide, are we going to stay this way and, and, and just become more efficient or are we going to give it over and get into how big can we build it and, and um, this perpetual growth attitude?
1: No, we're going to keep doing uh, what we do well, and we're going to grow. You know, if you, don't, uh, if you don't grow, you lose ground. So every year we plan on, you know, increasing our volume by, uh, you know, 6 to 10%, and that's a good growth goal. We don't think we can double our business overnight. So we, we grow organically and we grow a little bit at a time. And that's way to build a, uh, a you know a firm foundation. I don't know if we'll ever be a Sarah Lee, but we're a nice middle market company.
0: Before we go, is there one piece of advice you can give to the struggling entrepreneur that is on their way to building their loving quiche empire?
1: Well, I think I showed my readers in my book that with some passion – with a good idea, with an absolute unlimited capacity for work, with at least a few resources, as I mentioned earlier, with a backbone of steel, and maybe a little bit of luck, that a business can be built. I knocked on a thousand doors. The business built one step at a time, but there were a thousand baby steps we took to get where we are today. I've built a business that I think has value for my employees. So I'm hoping that the message that I've given by how I've conducted my business career and what I've tried to show in my book, I hope I have shown for the next one in line that a business can be built if you stick to those core principles and learn when you're knocked down, which you will be, to pick yourself up, to dust yourself off and to move on. I think the message from my book is that I grew across the decades you know from just a housewife to someone who has built a pretty big business so it can be done I've done it
0: yeah you sure have and you've done an amazing book too with love and quiches the long island housewife surprising journey from kitchen to boardroom and you know what it is surprising it's it's an amazing read it's highly recommended so this is going to be a dog-eared book that you're going to have at your desk for many many years to come thank you hey I hope you enjoyed that show and do me a favor and tweet about it follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already we really appreciate it see you next week